Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK. Chamakko Sandu from Toronto in Canada. Back from his travels from uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. It has been a big, big weekend for combat sports across the world. And uh, we've been in the thick of it. Sandu, first off, how are you bearing up? I'm knackered. I'm still sleep deprived after the weekend covering things from back here in the UK. You were on the ground in Vegas and I know you're back home in Canada now. How are you bearing up? I'm not too bad. I've had a good night's sleep. It's kind of one of those weird ones, Simon. I think you know how uh, how it feels, where you're constantly on fumes, you're you know low on energy, but the the adrenaline from what we are a part of and the action that we witness and the fights that we see that almost is like enough to carry you through. That in its own gives you that energy. So. Yes, although I could definitely do with a few a few days and a few nights of, of good sleep. Um, happy to be here talking to you about an incredible weekend. And man, I like I I really love going to big UFC events. And I'm sure I've got plenty, uh, you know, in my path down the road. But my little run recently of attending boxing events has been pretty phenomenal. Fury Wilder three, one of the greatest fights I've seen. Period. And then this past weekend, just to see Canelo for the first time up close and personal and seeing an absolute master at work, just the best pound for pound boxer in the world, the best fighter, perhaps and the best boxer of his generation, undisputed super middleweight champion now, goes, you know, puts himself you know, on the list of one of the all time greats. Definitely you can have a conversation about him being the, the greatest Mexican boxer of all time and, and just the overall energy of, of fight week. And, you know, I think I can only really compare it to something like the the Conor McGregor effect, where you had all these Mexicans and, and American Mexicans in town all week. Wayans, Simon, Wayans on Friday were at 2 p.m. local time in Las Vegas. I got up at nine o'clock to go get some breakfast. Nine o'clock in the morning, there was an enormous lineup of people going right through from the beginning of the entrance to the MGM Grand Conor Arena all the way through the lobby area of the, of the casino. It was that big. And people lining up just to see a weigh-in, it was just insane. Um, he's got a passionate fan base, a, a passionate audience. He's earned it. He deserves it. And and we got an incredible fight. Caleb Plant did an incredible job of of making sure that, you know, his stock remains high. You know, he, he made a good account of himself. But unfortunately for him, like I said, he just uh, came up against the best boxer of a generation. And uh, it was just a special night in Las Vegas. And I, had, I did have one eye on the UFC broadcast as well. But I was really happy to... And I, and I said this on Twitter, and uh, and I'll put a bow on it now. You and me, Simon, have been to some big events in some incredible arenas. But give me the MGM Grand Garden Arena over the T-Mobile Arena all day long. T-Mobile, yes, it's got a bigger capacity. So you do have... Uh, the ability to have more fans that can obviously make some more noise and, and, and all that. The MGM Grand Garden Arena, a little bit more intimate, but being connected to the casino and everything else that comes along with it, the energy, it, you don't lose it post-fight. You know, it spills out into the lobby and into the casino and all the bars and the restaurants. And it's just a fantastic arena. I don't know if I'm going to be, what you, you know, going to be able to watch too many more events down the road. Uh, at the MGM Grand Garden Arena, because I think every big fight now in Vegas does take place at the T-Mobile. And let's see, they'll probably be doing a few at the Allegiant Stadium down the road as well. So if that was the last one I'm going to get to see, especially a big event, then uh, I'm kind of glad I got that one on, under my belt as well. Yeah, my big worry for you, Sandu, is 
having stepped over and dipped your dipped your toes in the in the boxing world and seen what you've seen, I mean, any other boxing show you get from now on is going to be a bit of a come down. You've been given like the the cream of the crop, the top of the milk stuff, as the late great Sid Woodell would say. You've you've had the best of the best. It's all going to be second division stuff from now on. You know, you've seen Tyson Fury in an all time classic with Deontay Wilder, and you've seen one of the one of the pound for pound greats certainly of this era, and, you know, you could make the argument uh, past eras as well in Canelo Alvarez. You've seen the very best of their of their generation. So, you know, I'm slightly concerned for you. You're going to need to gradually wean yourself off, to, off and maybe do some lower level stuff just to, you know, see you're back down there with the little people again. And, uh, you know, you don't get you don't get all these uh, all these senses of disappointment every time you see any other kind of boxing. Well, you say that, Simon, but it looks like I might be on site for the great end of year show that is going to be Jake Paul versus Tommy Fury. So, oh, well, like, there you go. You know, you, you, you know, I'm only going up. It's the trajectory. It's to the moon in terms of uh, the 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 boxing that I'm going to experience. But listen, I think there's space for everything, and I, and I think you know I've been extremely lucky. Listen, I, it was a win-win for me either way. I was initially down to be in New York for 268. Yeah. And had I been, you know, at the arena uh, and in New York for Fight Week, I would, I would, have, I would be speaking to you right now with the exact same emotions, given what went down. Um, so ultimately, it was, oh, it was a win-win for me either way. I happened to be in Vegas uh, to help out with uh, BT Sports coverage of that, which was on on BT Sport box office. And and like I said before, I think it's been great for me just to have that experience in the boxing world in terms of just seeing who's on site, how, how uh, a boxing, a big boxing fight week plays out, seeing some friends in the media, things of that nature. And yeah, like I said, I've been to a million big UFC events and there'll be plenty of those down the road for me as well. So at the end of the day, combat sports is absolutely on fire, whether it's boxing or MMA. And I'm just happy to be a part of it either way. Yeah. I think it was, uh, I, th- I saw a tweet from Luke Thomas just before, uh, we, uh, just before we hit record referencing some of his colleague, uh, Brian Campbell said, this weekend, we had three of the best crowds that you could possibly wish for in combat sport. And we'll touch on all three over the course of the show. We had the Mexican crowd in Vegas for the Canelo fight. We had the Irish crowd in Dublin for Bellator 270, which was off the hook on Friday night. And then we had an absolutely insane night at Madison Square Garden in New York, where the the arena was absolutely packed to the rafters and the fights delivered. And Sandu, let's just launch straight in because I said to you just before we hit record, normally when we go through these fight cards and we're watching the event, you make a little mental note when something happens, particularly when it's a little bit lower down the card and it might not be one of the bigger ticket fights. You think, must talk about that. Must make sure that we talk about that because that was really good or that was really notable. We're talking about most of the card on this show, (laughs) top to tail. The whole thing was absolutely insane. But let's start at the very top and work our way down. It was... You know, I, I say this a lot. I've got a playlist called this. It was all killer, no filler in uh, in New York on Saturday night. And that main event topped it off. Kamara Usman versus Colby Covington for the World to Weight Championship of the World. Of course, it was a huge rematch of their UFC 245 bout. One of the best bouts I've seen live. Um, it wasn't quite at that level, but it wasn't too far below it. Usman dropped Covington pretty hard in round two. Covington did a great, great job of getting back into the fight. And uh, 48-47 twice and 49-46 gave Usman the win. And uh, he looks almost unstoppable. And Dana White said it in the post-fight press conference, Sandu. If Kamara Usman didn't exist, 
Colby Covington would be the welterweight champion of the world right now. He is that good. It's just unfortunate. And Usman said this before fight night. It's just, it's one of those situations that you might be that good. He's unfortunate he lives in a, in, in the same era as, as one guy who just happened to be better. And that guy was Kamara Usman. Great performance from him on fight night. It absolutely was. And I think in terms of how the fight played out, I think the result was better perhaps than the performance in many ways compared to yeah. how the, the first one um, played out. But I think the most important thing for Kamara Usman is this, and he's a champion. He's getting pay-per-view points. The most important thing is to keep winning. He does keep winning. He, he's literally one win away from equaling the all-time win streak record in the UFC that currently is held by Anton Silva. Anton Silva won 16 in a row in the UFC. Kamaru Usman is now at 15. And, you know, there's all this talk about, is he the greatest welterweight of all time? Is he the greatest of all time, period? Listen, I don't think he's too far away from have you know being involved and being included in that conversation. I think right now, I think most, you know, credible people that have been covering this sport for a long time will still have George St. Pierre as the number one greatest welterweight of all time. And he's certainly going to be in the conversation for the greatest of all time period as well. But Kamar Usman, if he keeps doing what he's doing, he keeps putting on the kind of performances he's putting on and keeps winning. I think maybe two, three wins away. I mean, here's the thing. He wins a couple more. He's broken the all-time record from, from Anderson Silva. And that alone will automatically, you know, insert him into the conversation. And I think, you know, if, if he defends his welterweight championship a handful more times, then we need to start having that conversation. Um, and I think, you know, I don't, it doesn't seem like Kamaru Usman is anywhere close to retiring or, or anything like that. So if he can keep on going, and I think the, 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 the biggest, you know, post-fight quote that was telling was him just talking about, you know, how it doesn't really matter how much money he's got in the bank. You know, he's a father, you know, he's spending, you know, months away in camp away from his daughter and you know that's something that's playing on his mind and so only the big fights only the tasty fights only the exciting fights things that will get him out of the out of bed in the morning will warrant him spending a couple of months away from his daughter and having that daddy daughter time so let's see how this all pans out there are certainly no shortage of contenders in that welterweight division obviously there's a big fight between Jorge Masdal Leon Edwards coming up in a matter of weeks and you'd like to think if Leon wins that fight we'll get Kamaru Usman, Leon Edwards too at some point in 2022. But for right now, he is the king of the mountain. He's the best welterweight in the world. And he definitely, in my opinion, is the pound for pound number one best fighter in mixed martial arts. Yeah, we're talking active, active participants. No doubt about it. I think John Jones gets back in the mix again. He's number one again. You know, talent wise, I still think he's the best mixed martial arts athlete on the planet. We haven't seen him for so, so long. Uh, and obviously, there's there's it's going to be a while before we see him. So um, as in active active athletes, it is Kamara Usman looking at what he's got to do to overtake GSP. I'm in that camp as well, by the way. I think GSP is still the greatest welterweight of all time. Uh, I think Usman needs another four title defenses before he equals what GSP did in terms of title defenses. Uh, unbeaten run, great. You know he's going to probably beat that or certainly equal that. Um, but now it's all about title defenses. He needs another four before he gets to GSP. So that gives you an idea of the longevity that the Canadian had as welterweight champion in the world. The other thing, he did it against a wider spread of opposition as well. You take a look at Kamara Usman's record. He's defended his belt five times, but only against three guys. He's beaten Colby twice, he's beaten Masvidal twice, and he's beaten Gilbert Burns once. They are his title defenses. So he's defended the belt against three different fighters. 
GSP has defended against a host of different fighters and has obviously got more title defenses. So I still, if you want to really have that argument that Kamara Usman has surpassed GSP, I think he needs to get a bit closer to GSP's numbers, but no doubt about it. And this is in no way denigrating his record or anything. Kamara Usman is undoubtedly top of the tree right now in terms of uh, active fighters in the UFC. And as a welterweight, you know, he's up there now. It's up to the rest of the pack to catch up to him. Colby Covington, as good as he is, and the improvements that he was he was hailing heading in, couldn't get it done. Did a great job of bouncing back. Couldn't quite get it done. Interesting, after the fight, though, Sandu, we, we heard from Colby in the press conference, and it was typical Colby, you know, talking about um, basically making some excuses as to why he didn't win the fight and that, you know, we're going to see each other again and blah, blah, blah. But before that, in the in the cage afterwards, there's a little moment of respect there. We couldn't quite hear everything that was being said, but uh, referee Big Dan Mergliotta was there, and uh, you could certainly hear what he was saying. And he was certainly uh, delighted with what was being said between the pair of them, and even joked, said, "Look, you two can sort of uh, kiss and make up after after the fight, sort of thing." Clearly, there's a lot of respect between those two, even though publicly it might not be the best business sense for them to verbalise it publicly. As Kamara Usman said, they've spent almost an hour in the cage together now. And uh, clearly, there's some respect there. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't mind it, to be honest with you. I think, uh, let's just say from a character point of view, um, Colby has kind of shown, I think everyone's, it's, it's quite clear to everyone what he does, how he goes about uh, the fight game in terms of promotion. But then you get that moment, you know, where you kind of see who, who the real person is. And I think for Colby to share that moment with Kamaru, uh, he knows that's it now. He's not going to get another crack at Kamaru. He's had two shots. And I think the best he can hope for is to, A, for himself to stay relevant and hopefully get some big fights, um, get some wins, and just hope that Kamaru drops the title. You know, I think if I'm Colby Covington, I'm looking at perhaps the loser of Leon Edwards versus Jorge Masvidal, especially if it's Jorge. I mean... That's been yeah. building and bubbling for a long, long, long time. And that would do big business and be a big draw on any fight um, that's scheduled for next year. And, you know, he's already had a few jabs back and forth with Hamzat Shemaev. Hamzat Shemaev is another guy that's like a, a superstar on the rise. So Colby is going to be in the mix, you know. And, and like I said, I think the best he can hope for is to, you know, get a few wins under his belt with, with some opposition that's going to really help uh, put himself on the marquee and just hope that Kamaru drops the title and then take it from there and see what happens. But he made a good account of himself in the cage. You can like or dislike his antics and the things that he says and the kind of persona that he puts out there. But one thing that's undeniable, you know, he is one of the best welterweights in the world. It's unfortunate for him that the pound for pound king uh, is a champion in his weight class. It is, it is unfortunate for him. I mean, he, you know, he put on a great, great account of himself in both fights. And, um, you know, to think that, Allegedly, he broke his jaw in the first fight and fought his way through. That that happened in the third round, I think. Fought another round and a bit before he was eventually stopped. And uh, it was interesting watching him in that fight. I, I thought that he could have pushed the pace even more on Kamara Usman. And of course, he managed to get a takedown. Whether it got officially recorded or not, he took him down and uh, broke Kamara Usman's perfect takedown defense record, at least in my eyes. Um, but yeah, interesting to know what happens with him next. You mentioned Hamzat. That's an option. Masvidal is the money fight. And if that is not available for any reason, I guess the only other move for him is to start going after the Diaz brothers. Uh, maybe both of them. Um, but uh, other than that, it's hard to see 
quite where uh, where Colby fits in. He needs to be in those big money fights. He's one of those guys who he uh, he sort of sell he sells sells tickets, sells pay per views, and uh, he's just unfortunately for him been the nearly man of the welterweight division. Maybe as his career goes on, that will change. But uh, we'll see what happens in the weeks and months ahead. That wasn't the only title fight on the card, Sandu. Of course, we had the women's strawweight title, another rematch. Rose Namajunas versus Zhang Weili. Rose knocked out Zhang in the first fight. Super quick, stunning knockout with a head kick. We thought it would go longer this time. It went the distance and it was a split decision. Rose getting the nod 47-48, 48-47, 49-46. Super close fight. I thought Zhang started really well in that fight. And uh, it was a really close one. By the time it got to the end, I'll be honest with you, I wasn't 100% confident whose hand was going to be raised. I really wasn't. I wasn't 100% sure. Um, and uh, for Rose to get that win and start to build a win streak, I think it's going to be very interesting to see who she gets next because Carla Esparza is the natural next contender. That would be a rematch of the very first title fight in women's strawweight history. Carla beating Rose in the finale of the Ultimate Fighter to win the inaugural title. So that would be an interesting one. Um, but Dana White in a press conference hinted that maybe that that isn't the fight that's going to happen. And I wonder whether that might, means we might see a return for you, Annie and Jacek, or whether we might see somebody else. But um, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with Rose from this point on. And you mentioned the situation with Colby. Zhang Weili's kind of in the same spot now, Sandu. Um, you know, she's lost two straights at a champion. So she now has to regroup, come back and sort of plot a new path to the top. But that was a super high level fight. I really enjoyed watching that. And the best thing about that fight, at no point during that fight did I have any idea who was going to win. Sometimes you watch the fight and it's trending in one direction or the other. This one was nip and tuck all the way through to the final bell. Yeah, it was fantastic. And I, I wasn't able to watch it, you know, full on because it was taking place at the exact same time as the Canelo plant fight. Interesting that these two fights were essentially going head to head. And there was a great picture from a colleague of mine who was literally, uh, well, not a colleague, but a peer more than anything else. Um, Arash Makaz, who was sitting behind me on press row for the Canelo plant fight. And he tweeted a picture out of Dana White watching um, Canelo versus Plant on a screen at the exact same time that Rose Nama Yunus and Zhang Veli are doing the business in the cage. So that was bizarre to say the least. Um, Do you know why he was doing that? He had a $100,000 bet on Canelo to win. That's why. To win by knockout. Bet. He had $100,000 on Canelo to win by KO. He won $41,000 on that, on that bet. Well, he's definitely got the money to spend uh, and gamble, <laughs> A. Uh, and B, it ended up being a good bet and ended up, uh, you know, cashing in for him because that's exactly how the fire ended in the 11th round. But um, but yeah, look, um, you know, Rose, she's phenomenal, Simon. She's now got two wins over Zhang Veili, who arguably is probably the second best strawweight in the world. She's got two wins over Joanna Jacek. And I know Joanna's been kind of just sitting back for a while and... Um, you know, hoping to, you know, be brought back in for a big fight. She's only interested in big paydays and big fights and what have you, but it'll be really hard to sell a third fight right now. In my opinion, Rose and Joanna. Joanna's lost to her twice. I think you've got to make the Carla Esparza fight. And if they go in a different direction, if I'm Carla Esparza, I would be absolutely livid because she's done everything that she has to do. Got a great win streak. And more importantly, like you mentioned, Simon, she already holds a win over the champion. Like, what more do you need to tell that story? What more do you need to promote that potential fight? And if I'm Rose, wouldn't I, as a champion, also want to get that one back um, on my resume? 
I think Rose has been fighting essentially the same competition now, two or three girls over the last couple of years. So it'd be nice to run it back from right from where the, the strawweight championship era began. But good for her. And I, and I know we're going to get to it ultimately, but Trevor Whitman and her, she had a great moment backstage and it was a great night for Trevor Whitman. Um, we'll cap it off when we talk about Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler. But right now, Rose Nami Yunus is the queen of the strawweight division. And, you know, the first fight against Young Bailey ended in spectacular fashion. I almost thought it was a, a blessing in disguise that she ended up going the full 25 minutes and she was able to implement strategy and kind of almost give herself a bit of a gut check moment and go into those championship rounds to make sure that the cardio is there to make sure that the the level of confidence that she has in her own skin in terms of going 20 25 minutes against a competitor that was also absolutely bringing it um where does young bailey go from here i don't know but maybe you run that one back against yana young jacek you know that was obviously one of the greatest fights if not the greatest fight in women's mma history even one of the greatest fights period in mma men or women um and so she's gonna need a big fight uh, to get back on the saddle so that's how i'd match make it simon rose carla esparza and i'd do joanna versus young bailey too how, what do you think about that put them on the same card put them on the yeah. same card you know i've wanted for years for the ufc to do an all an all female card and and they could just stack the deck put all the titles on it make a real big deal of it and and uh what a way to do it. You know, you could have that fight. You could have um, the the rematch between Zhang and Joanna, which, as you say, was absolutely bananas. I mean, I, I struggled to think of too many fights that were better than that, just for sheer pace. Just the pace was the thing that really, really struck me. So, yeah, I'd love to see that. Put them both on the same card. I think that would be absolutely brilliant. Now, we talked about the queen of the strawweight division. How about the king of spoiling someone's party? Enter Marlon Vera. I was in London. I think you might have been there as well, Sandu. Brad Pickett was fighting in London for his retirement fight at UFC London. He fought Marlon Chito Vera. Absolutely lovely guy to talk to. Nice guy. But the whole of the arena was behind Brad Pickett. Brad seemed like he was on his way to a win, but decided he was going to keep, rather than get on his bike in the last round, he pushed the pace. Marlon Vera knocks him out with a head kick. And the rest is history. Well, we saw a repeat on Saturday night in New York. Frankie Edgar, one of the most beloved fighters from, from the New York, New Jersey area. Uh, legendary former UFC lightweight champion, future Hall of Famer. Um, finished with an Anderson Silva style front kick to the face by Marlon Vera. It was a stunning, stunning knockout that on any other fight card would have been the highlight real moment of the night. This might not even have made the top three. That is how insane this fight card was. But make no mistake, that was a quite incredible finish by Marlon Vera, who has now gone in there and he's starting to knock people over. He is now a legit contender in my eyes at 135 pounds. And as we say on every show, the bantamweight division is an absolute shark tank. And Marlon Vera is turning himself into a bit of a great white. That was a huge performance from him. And... Uh, Sad for fans of Frankie Edgar because it feels like he's coming towards the tail end of his career now. But for Marlon Vera, absolutely huge. Yeah, and you know, there's the image flying around the internet right now of the moment the foot connects with Frankie Edgar's chin and the ripple effect just going through Frankie's face is just an in it's probably one of the the all-time great images 
if I'm being honest. Um, shout out to the photographer. From the top of my head, I can't remember who took the shot, but it's always going to be one of the usual suspects there, Jeff Batari or, or Chris or one of those guys. Um, yeah, phenomenal finish by Cheeto Vera. And, you know, he's only 28 years old, Simon. He's a character. He's got a personality. You know, he's he's in that bantamweight division, which is obviously still a sh- bit of a shark tank, but he's heading in the right direction. He's in the, the, the he's in the right mix of guys that is probably just maybe a couple of wins from you know inserting himself into title contention and it, you'd love to see it and on the, on the flip side Simon for Frankie Edgar you know he's now lost what four of his last five um, he's lost five of his last seven it's not looking good and I don't know what more he has to prove he's obviously already solidified himself as one of the the all-time greats he's been a UFC champion but at this stage of his career you know is he perhaps doing more damage to his legacy it's gonna it's probably gonna start to be a little bit more uncomfortable uh seeing him out there if he continues to face tough competition which is probably what he's gonna be after anyway from a competitive point of view but if he keeps losing and especially in spectacular fashion like that it's um it's, it's not a good look it's not a good look um, so I don't know how many more fights he's got left in his contract or what his uh, you know, current situation is. If he does want to fight maybe one or two more times, you know, I'd, if I'm the UFC, I'm booking him against lesser competition. And, you know, especially with, with the fans coming back again, perhaps when they return to New Jersey at some point down the road, a farewell fight with Frankie by the top of the bill or co-main event or something might be uh, the right way to kind of see his, his, his way out of the UFC. Yeah, and the big the big red flag really, if you take a look at at his record, is he's each of his last three defeats have come via strikes. He got TKO by the Korean Zombie back in December 2019, got a split decision win over Pedro Munoz in the interim, and then he got knocked out with a flying knee by Corey Sanhagen. That highlight reel moment, 28 seconds into their bout uh, in February this year, he then comes back Madison Square Garden this weekend, front kick to the face, another knockout. Uh, at UFC 268, so when you start seeing knockouts start to stack up on a on a on a record, that's when that's when you start to get a little bit concerned. You see some fighters like Jim Miller, who seem to their their punch resistance seems as strong as ever, and he he seems he seems to have no end in sight for his career. He's looking for UFC 300, but um, Frankie has been through some absolute wars in his career. You know the Gray Maynard fight spring to mind. And uh, yeah, I do wonder whether we are beginning to uh, come towards the end of his illustrious, surely Hall of Fame worthy UFC career. But um, yeah, big, big win for Marlon Vera, who will probably be ranked in the top 10 by the time you guys listen to this. Uh, They haven't updated the rankings as we sit here recording it on a Monday night UK time. Uh, Marlon Vera went into the weekend ranked 13th. Frankie Edgar was 8th. So you would expect there to be a bit of a crossover, whether Marlon goes all the way up to eight or not, I don't know. But I would expect him to be in and around the top 10. Uh, And then there's some big fights in his future as we look to head into 2022. Believe it or not, there was so much, so much action on this card. We had Shane Burgos versus Billy, Billy Q, Billy Quarantillo. Served up a brilliant, brilliant fight. Three rounds back and forth. 29-28s across the board for Shane Burgos. Incredibly, for a fight as good as this, which would have been fight of the night on almost any other card, it gets completely overlooked by all the other stuff that happened on this fight card because it had the hardest job on the fight card because it had to follow one of the best fights I think I've ever seen in the UFC octagon. The UFC lightweight fight between Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler on paper looked like an absolute banger. 
And when they moved it to the first fight of the of the prelim, uh, sorry, first fight of the pay per view, uh, presumably to help give Trevor Whitman a little bit of help because he's coaching Gaethje, Nami Yunus, and Usman. Everyone thought, "Wow, what a way this pay per view is going to kick off!" You know, it's going to be fireworks from the get go. My goodness me, Sandu. I don't know whether you got to see this live or whether you had to play catch up and watch it uh, after the fact, but I'm sitting at home watching this. I'm working from home watching it. And normally I'm sat down. I'm either on the sofa with the laptop on my lap or I'm sat at my office desk. That fight, I was standing for the entire fight because it was absolutely nuts. This is like 3 a.m., right? And uh, it was absolutely bananas. The fight any moment you felt like, okay, one of these punches is just going to spark one of them. We've seen Michael Chanda get knocked out in the past with one shot. He was taking Justin Gaethje's power. Everything I said in last week's show about maybe punch resistance being a problem, Michael Chandler, hand up. I apologize. There is nothing wrong with your chin. That was absolutely incredible to walk through some of the stuff that Gaethje threw. And likewise, Gaethje just walked through everything that Chandler threw. And Chandler was throwing absolute sledgehammers at him. Unbelievable fight unbelievable fight it went to the judges and uh it was a, a relatively straightforward decision win in the end for justin gaethje 29 28 29 28 30 27 but my god sandu <laughs> fights do not get much more exciting and much better than that it's one of those fights where if you've got a friend who loves sport but maybe isn't a diehard mma fan you'd show them this fight say this is the stuff that i like this is the stuff that i watch and it normally wins them over it's one of those it was absolutely insane yeah, in the running now for fight of the year, one of the greatest fights we've ever seen. Gaethje is back with a win, and you know he is. You know, I thought for a while he was a bit of the forgotten man because he hasn't, you know, competed in quite some time. And you know, the stock doesn't go down either for Chandler because no. both men doesn't matter who won or lost, who's got the result on the resume. Both men have just endeared themselves again or that much further with the MMA fan base and, and the audience and who doesn't want to see Michael Chandler fight again and who doesn't want to see him compete against the absolute very best in the UFC so I think in one direction you've got Gaethje now who's probably going to be eyeing himself a title shot in the not too distant future uh, depending on how things play out in December of course and on the flip side you know we talk, I just spoke about it Michael Chandler his stock doesn't go down well here we are just talking days after the event, he put a little tweet out with a graphic um, of him facing off against Conor McGregor. And the caption was simply 2022. Nice back and forth between him and Conor. Very cordial. Lots of respect. But yeah, that's a great fight. You know, why not? That's exactly the kind of fight I think Conor McGregor um, would you know want. And I think makes all the sense in the world. And for Michael Chandler, like he's come into the UFC and it's not it's been nothing but big fights big stages and big moments so kudos to him uh like i said no, no one is taking an l here whatsoever even though gaethje won and i was able to watch it thankfully before things really started to kick off with uh the, the canelo fight it was a pleasure to watch and yeah i feel like it's going to be one of those fights that are going to be talked about for quite some time and we've got to just take your hat off to both of those guys man just you know, I spoke about it at the, you know, when we were talking about Rose versus Young Bailey, but what a night for Trevor Whitman. Justin, I mean, I don't know what the odds were for the Trevor Whitman parlay, but Gaethje wins, Rose wins, and Kamaru wins. I mean, it doesn't get better than that for the head coach. Uh, I mean, he must be absolutely buzzing, um, even though he doesn't really show too many emotions um, when, when he's cage side. But coach of the year, 
probably once again back to back. I think. Yeah, he's got to be in the running, isn't he? I mean, not just for what he's done on Saturday night, but for his body of work in general. But yeah, he's, you know, he's done an incredible job with with all all three. And uh, you know, we, we've seen the improvements in Kamara Usman. We've seen the improvements in and and, and development in Rose Namajunas and Justin Gaethje. You know, he's the most exciting fighter in the UFC. I mean, I, I, I defy anyone to tell me anything different. He is the most exciting fighter in the UFC. If you were building a fight card to show other people and say, this is the very best we have, this is the most exciting uh, card of fights, you put a Justin Gaethje fight on that card. And you know what? You probably do the rematch of Michael Chandler because Michael Chandler is right up there with him. You know, he's got all the charisma you want and uh, he does a great job of selling fights. He's super professional in the lead up to fights. He looks the part and boy, does he back it up in the cage. Unbelievable fight. And, um, you know, I think they're both going to need a little bit of time to recover from that. But Justin Gaethje fighting for the belt in early 2022 is, it's got to be a lock at this point. You know, he's been kind of left out of the mix a little bit and uh, he'll be, he'll be praying that Charles Oliveira beats Dustin Poirier because if Dustin Poirier wins, there's every chance that uh, Charles Oliveira will will get a rematch. So Gaethje will probably want Oliveira to win that fight. And he gets his path straight in there and, uh, the, you know, the lightweight division gets to move on. Chandler versus McGregor. Yeah. Yeah. Count me in. It gives me a s- slight flashbacks to when Conor McGregor fought Chad Mendes because Chad Mendes, uh, heavy handed, strong wrestling base, excellent, uh, excellent contender. And when they fought, it was a real clash of styles. Michael Chandler, superb wrestler, heavy handed. I don't get me wrong. He's, I think he's much higher level than Chad Mendes, but there are certain parallels there. And I think from a stylistic point of view, I think it will work out great. And I think it would make an absolutely brilliant main event somewhere. I really do. So I would love to see that fight further down the line and more, more on Connor a bit later on in the show, because uh, he was quite active on social media this weekend, but um, that fight, believe it or not, for all of the positives, Sandu, this actually ended a run of success in the UFC uh, on UFC 268 because prior to that fight, we had seen six knockout wins in a row. Six finishes, TKO or KO on the trot. Headlining the pre, uh, the prelims, Alex Pereira, the man who knocked out Israel Adesanya back in their kickboxing days, former world champion kickboxer, knocks out Andreas Mikulidis with a flying knee from hell uh, 18 seconds into the second round. That was absolutely nuts. Bobby Green knocks out Al Iaquinta with a brilliant combination um, in the first round. Chris Curtis, who I don't know how he never got in the UFC before, having won with a knockout on the Contender Series, didn't get a contract. He's been away, he's bounced around doing a few bits and pieces with different promotions. Was scheduled to fight in Bellator. That fight fell through. Ends up stepping in on short notice, moves up a weight class against an absolute monster in Phil Hawes gets the living daylights beaten out of him for the first part of the round and then knocks the guy out. Unbelievable. And then Nasadini Marvel versus Evan Shabazian. That's a TKO as well. Of those four, I don't know how many of these fights you've got to see, Sandu, but it's almost a case of pick your favorite. There was a, there was a bit of something for everyone in those four. They were like the televised prelims uh, before, just, uh, just after the fight pass prelims. But every single one of those had a story, whether it's the comeback or, you know, a, a long-serving veteran getting his chance in Curtis, whether it's Bobby Green proving he's still got it, whether it's Alex Pereira serving notice to the division, whether it's Imarvov saying, do you know what? 
Sebastian's not the prospect. I'm the prospect. So there's all sorts going on there. Yeah. And to be honest with you, outside of um, Ian Gary's debut and the Chris Barrett, John Volante fight on the early prelims, I actually didn't watch any of the broadcast prelims because I was too much in the thick of it um, at the MGM Grand Garden Arena covering Canelo Plant backstage bits and pieces. I saw some bits and I saw some social clips. I ended up seeing all the finishes. But in terms of the stories, I think you laid them out quite nicely there, Simon. I think, look, Alex Pereira, there's only one reason that the UFC signed him. It's because he knocked out Israel Adesanya back in the kickboxing days. They're hoping that he can go on a run at middleweight and become a future opponent for Stylebender. That makes all the sense in the world. Bobby Green, what an incredible story. The guy just stays there, stays in the mix, stays active. Uh, feel a bit you know, heartbroken for Ally Quinta because he's now you know, lost his last three in a row. He's lost his last, what, four out of his last five. It's not been a good run for Ally Quinta over the last couple of years. Hopefully, the the realty business is, is booming for, for him and he's selling lots of houses because it's not really working out at the moment for him in the UFC, although he is a fantastic character. Then Chris Curtis, talking about someone, Simon, they retired twice in the same night. I was in Las Vegas working for the PFL where Chris Curtis was involved in the playoffs back in 2019 and to see him literally retire twice in the same night still be around a couple of years later making his ufc debut you know lastminute.com i mean what an incredible story that is and then finally simon nasuddin imanov knocking out edmund shabazian with some elbows my goodness shabazian was was the prodigy you know he was going to be the next big thing and he has now lost his last three after being undefeated. And I feel like they've, I don't know, him and his team, his coaches, they need to figure it out. Because at one point, it looked like he's got all the tools. And he, it, it looked like, you know, he um, was on his way up, getting the, the right reps in, in the cage and the right level of opponents. But at some stage, I'm sure the team's going to have to figure out maybe a change in camp, maybe a change in coaching staff. He's still young enough. And he's obviously very passionate about the sport, but you know, you lose three on the trot in the UFC. It used to be on your way, son. But maybe they'll you know keep him around for maybe maybe one more fight, maybe two more fights. Um, but he's got to start winning, Simon, because it's the UFC, and it's at this level, you know, second chances, especially when you're in a losing streak like that, and you don't have that pedigree of being a big name or a former champion. It's it's not going to do you well. It's tricky, isn't it? I mean, we're going to talk about Ian Gary in a minute. He's the same age as Ian Gary. He's 23 years of age, but he's had seven fights in the UFC. He won in the Contender Series, got in the UFC. He's had seven fights in the UFC, and he's lost his last three. And yeah, he's had a bit of a promotional push. He's been moved up the ladder reasonably swiftly. Um, but yeah, I think I think a change in training camp might not be the worst idea. And that's no, disres no, no disrespect to the guys at Glendale fight team, but sometimes that is what it takes. Sometimes it's just a fresh pair of eyes, a different, a different approach, a different emphasis can bring things out. And, and maybe that's what's needed, but whatever it is, I mean, don't take anything away from Nasadin Imavov because he's legit. He is legit. He is a, he is an absolute nightmare for that division because he doesn't have a big name, but what he does have, is a very well-rounded skill set. He can do a little bit of everything and he can do it really well. So he's going to, whoever signs to fight him is really taking a chance with their career because he's a nightmare. It's like 
when you think when Leon Edwards was on his run, moving his way out that welterweight division, he was a guy no one wanted to fight. Um, you look at Islam Makachev earlier in his career when there wasn't any real name value on him at all. No one wanted to fight. I mean, it's still the same now. No one wants to fight him. But back then, no one wanted to fight him because you could see from an early an early stage that he was legit. It's a similar thing here with Nasadini Marvel. So looking forward to seeing what happens with him. Middleweight division is not the deepest. So, you know, if he can pick up a couple of big wins, he's going to be causing a few problems in that middleweight division. Mark my words. He's, he's the real deal. So looking forward to seeing what happens with him. Um, yeah, the Curtis story, Sandu, is just absolutely insane. Um, he was getting his backside handed to him for a lot of that fight as well. And all of a sudden, he just starts putting his punches together because he's a much better technical striker than Phil Hawes. Phil Hawes is an absolute powerhouse. And uh, once once Curtis decided, you know what, it's about time I threw my hands, then uh, the fight completely changed. So really happy for him. Hopefully that he now gets himself a contract with a few fights on it and he can fight at his natural weight class rather than 185 pounds. Um, and, you know, we talked about Pereira and Bobby Green. Uh, Bobby Green, great stuff. Alex Pereira, really looking forward to seeing just how far he can go. He was getting bossed on the mat by Andreas Michalidis. You know, the first round was completely one-sided. Michalidis took him down, kept him down for large periods of the fight. Pereira did quite well to sort of work his way back up, but there was, he landed almost nothing in that first round because he just wasn't allowed to. Uh, and then at the start of the second round, you know, he took full advantage and uh, took 18 seconds to put him away. So, um, but he trains with Glover Teixeira. Glover Teixeira was in his corner for that fight. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how he progresses. And I hope the UFC don't push him too fast, too early. Uh, you know, he's he's in his 30s already, but build him up gradually. And uh, who knows, maybe we'll see that fight with Israel Adesanya at some point in the future. You didn't see those four uh, prelim fights, but you mentioned the other two that formed that six-fight knockout run. Let's talk about Ian Gary, Sandu. We've seen Ian Gary in Cage Warriors working his way up. He's got personality. He's likable. He's uh, he's not one of these guys who you think, oh, he's a cocky so and so. I don't like I don't like the look of him. He's confident, but he's got that he's got that charm to him. He's an, he comes across really well, and he can fight. And uh, we're just scratching the surface with him. We really are. And he went in there, and he was getting he was getting caught by Jordan Williams early on. He was hanging his chin out there a little bit. He was getting clipped, and he made a few little adjustments. Started to started to just wait on Jordan a little bit. And then caught him with an absolutely perfect counter right hand off the back foot. Absolutely picture perfect. And uh, gets the buzzer beater knockout with one second to go in the first round. And then delivers, for me, one of the best post-fight interviews, certainly by a debutant that I can remember. He hit absolutely everything spot on. Referenced Conor McGregor's previous, we're not here to take part, we're here to take over, that famous speech. But he did it with respect. He did it with with, ref, with with reverence to to McGregor. So you know there was no issue there, and um, you know he, he had the crowd eating out the palm of his hand at Madison Square Garden. And uh, he's in with a really good camp at Sanford MMA, who I think are going to bring him along really nicely. And as I said with Alex Pereira, as long as they build him up gradually, and he said this in his post fight press conference, he's not chasing big names yet. He just wants to work his way up. Um, if they manage his career well. The sky could be the limit for this guy. He really does. He really does look like he's got all the ability and the intelligence to go a long way in this business. I think a few little technical tweaks, he's going to be a problem. I'm really, really enthused after watching his performance on that world stage. Yeah, the future is here. 
you know, um, Paddy Pimblett and him will probably have a lot in common because they both made their UFC debuts this year. A lot of hype behind them. And they both had performances where it didn't go exactly perfect, but all anyone will remember is the finish and the fact that they both got first round finishes. Obviously, Paddy Pimblett was at the apex and for Ian Gary, it was in Madison Square Garden. With Paddy Pimblett, there isn't, you know, a lineage of, you know, fighters from Merseyside or Liverpool coming through and becoming champions yet, with the emphasis on yet. Whereas Ian Gary, his his only comparison is going to be to one of the the all-time greats, one of the biggest stars, the biggest star in the sport in Conor McGregor. And not only did he nail that post-fight promo, you call it an interview, I call it a promo, right? But the fact that Conor McGregor was watching, put him over on social media, was tweeting in, you know, immediately, you know, giving Ian Gary his flowers. I mean, I think, you know, me and Ian Gary have a lot in common, if I'm being fair. You know, Conor McGregor put me over last week on Twitter. Then he goes and puts Ian Gary over on Twitter. I mean, you know, Conor's, you know, obviously doing doing the right thing there, right? By giving <laughs> respect to people that deserve respect in the fight game. So, oh, um, so yeah, Kudos to Ian Gary, but like you said, all jokes aside, you know he looks phenomenal. He looks like he's got his head on right. He's him and his partner Layla. They are managing themselves. They don't work with a management company or a consultancy or an agency. They're doing yeah. this um, together, and so far everything's working out. And I can't wait to see what happens next. And he's he obviously made the move to states uh, to to train in Florida, and that at the time look was looked upon as a bit of a controversial story but at the end of the day the proof's in the pudding he's winning fights he's in, he's in the ufc he just won his debut and the ufc have another potential star in the making with ian gary yeah absolutely no doubt about it and what a perfect piece of timing as well with the world beginning to open up and the ufc starting to sort of look outside the cave a little bit in terms of host, hosting events overseas and maybe getting back to Europe again. They've got a guy here who is brand new out the box, yet they know they can already probably put him relatively high up on a fight card, certainly in the UK or even in Ireland. I'd love to see him get back to the Emerald Island and actually do a show in Dublin. Um, they could do a show in England, Scotland or Ireland with him somewhere on that main card, and he's going to bring fans with him. You know, he he's one of those guys. He's, he's, he's a real prospect. And uh, I'm looking forward to following his journey as 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 we go. He's, uh, yeah, he's, he's he's a real character. He isn't the next Conor McGregor. He's the the next Ian Gary. And I think I just hope that as his career goes on, those McGregor comparisons are not completely forgotten. But I think I hope that he's viewed as his own man and not just as you know. I think James Gallagher has suffered a little bit from that. Uh, Gallagher's style and delivery is much more in line with Conor, and I think a lot of people have kind of pushed back on that. Um, and that is maybe why he's polarized the fan base as much as he has. But I think Ian Gary is certainly his own person. I watched his interview with Ariel earlier today um, and he comes across great. He's just natural. He's just natural. And that's, I think as long as he manages to keep hold of that and keep developing and keep improving and, and putting in the performances, he's going to be an absolute superstar. So I'm really looking forward to seeing, seeing what happens for Ian Gary moving forward. But kicking off that run, Sandu, one of the one of the feel good fights of 2021. Chris Barnett, born in Spain, but very much 
of the United States of America, taking on Jan Vellante in what was Vellante's retirement fight at heavyweight. Vellante, of course, normally fights at 205. Um, taking on Chris Barnett and uh, one of the best little sound bites of the week. Uh, Daniel Cormier mentioned it during the weigh-in show, the official UFC weigh-in show, um, likening his uh, appearance and uh, Jan Vellante's appearance, saying that this is the fight you would get if you ordered Daniel Cormier versus Stipe Miocic on Wish. You get you get these two, which I thought was brilliant. And uh, but they came out there and and my goodness, if you if you're ticking boxes, how to win over a crowd, how to go in there and make people be talking. Given what else is on this fight card, given what else has happened already, what we've already talked about, one of the most talked about people on this fight card after the event was Chris Barnett. He danced his way to the cage, almost flattened a uh, a commissioner as he was doing it. Uh, gets in the cage, knocks out Jan Vellante with a spinning hook kick. Unbelievable technique. And does the, what he calls the fat man front flip, which I might have to start trying to practice, given that I, I fit into that category myself. Uh, might have to start practicing that. The fat man front flip celebration, which was trending worldwide as well. And then in his post-fight interview, he gave up almost all of it to, quote your phrase, give his flowers to... Uh, John Volante on his retirement and uh, got all of Madison Square Garden on their feet cheering and applauding and it was it was one of those moments where you're just like there is there is good in the world you know even in this in this at times bloody at times uh, <laughs> immoral sometimes world of combat sport where you know all all sorts of things happen inside and outside of the cage you get a guy like this who is just a ray of sunshine he goes in there wins the fight in spectacular fashion, all the respect in the world to his opponent. And uh, even if somebody left after that fight, they would have gone home happy having seen that. And that's with everything that happened afterwards for him to still be one of the most talked about people on that fight card. tells you just what an incredible night he had. It was unbelievable. I loved it. Yeah. I mean, you nailed it, Simon. I don't know how much more I can add to that. The walkout, the finish, the post-fight celebration, giving props to Jean Vellante, I mean, talk about a home run situation for Huggy Bear. And, you know, it's good to see. And also, just to add to that, glad to see Madison Square Garden packed with fans that early on in the card. Normally, yeah. at these some of these venues, they're, they're normally trickling in just before the main card kicks off. But, you know, the New York fan base um, came out early and, you know, they got what they deserved. Lots of action, lots of knockouts, lots of good feel-good moments. And yeah, it was a fantastic uh, night overall. And it, for me, it really kicked off with that Chris Barrett performance. Yeah, it's absolutely, absolutely brilliant, brilliant performance. And uh, the fight card, I mean, we've gone through every fight on the card pretty much, except for the first three. So we'll give them a name check as we finish off this little recap. Dustin Jacoby defeated John Allen by unanimous decision. Melsic Bagdasarian defeats Bruno Souza by unanimous decision. And Odie Osborne beats CJ Vergara also by unanimous decision. All decent fights. Perfectly decent fights. No duds on this fight card whatsoever. But it was those three fights. Then we had that incredible run of six knockouts. And then we had the Gaethje Chandler fight, which was unbelievable. The Burgos-Billy Q fight, which was brilliant. Marlon Vera channeling his Anderson Silva. Then the two title fights. Unbelievable night. UFC were dishing out bonuses left, right and centre. I think Dana White was probably like Oprah backstage, chucking the bonuses around. Gaethje Chandler gets fight of the night. The official performance of the night bonuses went to Marlon Vera, Alex Pereira, Bobby Green, and Chris Barnett. Uh, Ian Gary 
didn't get an official bonus. I'd like to think he got an unofficial one. Um, uh, I would have thought um, Chris Curtis might have got himself a little unofficial bonus as well. So who knows? But there was so much, so much on that card. And it's one of those ones where, you know, sometimes these fight cards, they come so thick and fast, Sander. You're on to the next one almost before you finish the one you're looking at. This is one of those ones that at some point this week, I'm going to take some time, sit back, and just watch the card through again because it was one of those. It was that damn good. And, uh, you know, still one more pay-per-view to go before the end of uh, 2021. But absolutely huge stuff at Madison Square Garden on fight night. But that wasn't the only big event, big arena, big atmosphere of the weekend. We talked about the Canelo fight and the Mexican fans. We talked about Madison Square Garden and uh, the New York fans. Friday night saw Bellator 270 at the Three Arena in Dublin. I had hoped to be there. Unfortunately, uh, circumstances meant that I wasn't there, which was uh, a bit of a shame. But my goodness me, they delivered. They, they delivered an incredible atmosphere. Uh, I don't know whether you got to see this live at any point or whether you, you, you caught the recaps or whatever, but the atmosphere in that building was insane. The, you know, the, the two Irish guys in the top two fights, the fights did not go the Irish way. Uh, Patricky Pitbull being the first man to stop Peter Queeley. Uh, second round finish. He's now the Bellator lightweight champion. Picks up the belt that was relinquished by his brother, Patricio. So the, the Pitbull title lineage continues at 155 pounds. Um, Patchy Mix defeated James Gallagher. That was, a, if you like your grappling, that was a superb matchup. They were going back and forth on the mat. Gallagher looking to get guillotine chokes, Patchy Mix trying to get guillotine chokes. In the end, it was Patchy Mix that got it done in the third round. Lots of respect between the pair at the end. Um, and uh, both of the walkouts, James Gallagher walking out to uh, Freed from Desire by Gala, that classic. The crowd were going absolutely mental. And uh, my old colleague Nolan King was tweeting out saying, that's the walkout of the year. And I just replied to him and said, wait for the main event, Nolan. And then, out comes Peter Queeley to zombie by the cranberries. And it was goosebumps on goosebumps stuff. I was watching that in my office here where I, just exactly where I'm sitting right now recording this. And the, uh, the hairs of my arms were standing upright because I, I was in the arena the last time Peter Queeley made that walk to that song. And I remember it like it was yesterday. And this felt levels above that because it was a title fight and a main event. So um, disappointing that Queeley and Gallagher from an Irish perspective weren't able to send the Irish fans home happy. But my goodness, what an incredible atmosphere at the Three Arena, Sandu. And I'd love to think that maybe one day the UFC go back there. And, you know, to think that someone like Ian Gary and, you know, maybe one day, you know, we might even see Conor McGregor back there one day. That would be that would be incredible. Yeah, look, I think the biggest takeaway for me was the fact that once again, a friendly reminder, but the Irish MMA fans are amongst the best, if not the best in the entire world. And kudos to Bellator for actually making it essentially in the void of the UFC, almost like a home ground and a bit of a home field advantage for them because they've been there a bunch of times over the last couple of years. Yes, the results didn't go the way of the Irish MMA fighters, especially the the high-profile ones that you mentioned, Gallagher and Queeley. But my God, that walkout, insane. Just just, just goosebumps and, um, you know, it's special. You know, that's what you... Uh, that's probably like one of those things that better talk can always depend on. You know, you go to certain markets, go to certain cities. You saw what happened with M. Michael Venom Page walking out in London. That was a great walkout. You saw what happened when Peter Queeley walked out 
at the O2 Arena in Dublin. More of that. Bellator needs to go to these markets, stack the cards, have important fights with stakes and title fights. There's no need to go to the Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. You're not going to get atmosphere like that. You go to some place like this, the MMA community on social media will be talking. They will do the heavy lifting and help promote your event by making sure people are tuning in. Maybe not so much for the, the fights, the title fights, the stakes, but the fact that it's a special en environment, a special atmosphere, and whatever you're doing right now, stop it and tune into Bellator. Um, so, yeah, more of that from, from Bellator, I think, would be um, the right move from a promotional standpoint. Yeah, and, you know, they didn't get the two top fights go their way, the Irish, but uh, SBG-trained Pedro Carvalho got a huge win on the main card. He beat Daniel Weichel by unanimous decision. A uh, really big win for him. He'd lost two straight uh, coming through that that uh, featherweight tournament. Lost to to Patricio Pitbull, and then lost to JJ Wilson after that. Bounces back, beats Daniel Weichel. Not many people beat him, so that was a big, big win for him. Huge reaction to that from the crowd. And topping the prelim card, up and coming uh, Irish fighter, star of the future, Kieran Clark, featherweight. Um, he moved on to I think he's four and zero oh now. Beat uh, Jordan Barton by rear naked choke submission. Barton had like twice the experience of him. Had only lost once in his career. Or, or in fact, no, he might even have been undefeated heading into that. Uh, Clark got a submission in the third round, uh, in the last minute of the third round, and the roof came off. So, you know, there were some high spots there for the Irish fans. It just wasn't at the very, very sharp end of the car. But another great event. You know, they really know how to stage the events in that three arena. And uh, you know, as you say, that's 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 something that they can go back to once, twice, three, even three times a year, and they know they're going to sell that building out. Uh, because they've got a big roster of Irish-based fighters. They've got a good relationship with SBG, uh, and they've got a ton of fighters. So, um, yeah, that was good fun to watch on Friday night. Perfect warm-up for Saturday in New York City. And Bellator are back this weekend, Sandu, as well. And there's an Irish storyline in, uh, in that as well. Sinead Kavanagh challenging Chris Cyborg for the women's featherweight belt in the main event. That's going to be at the Seminole Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Hollywood, Florida, which I think is where the PFL playoff uh, finals were held just a couple of weeks ago. So Bellator in there now. Uh, Cyborg in the main event. England's own Linton Vassell taking on Tyrell Fortune at heavyweight in the co-main event. Aaron Pico's on the card. Arlene Blanco's on the card. And uh, move, uh, moving up the ranks is a heavyweight contender, Steve Mowry. Big unit. Good submission artist. He is on the card as well. Valerie Lareda. Uh, for Instagram fans, is on the prelims as well. So lots to get involved with on, is that Friday night or Saturday night, November 12th? I think that's Saturday night, isn't it? No, Friday night, he says, checking his calendar. So yeah, uh, fingers crossed I may well be on duty for that one on Friday night. But then, Sandu, it's another UFC card. They're thick and fast, and it's one of the one of the best fighters on the entire roster. It's headlining Max Holloway versus Jair Rodriguez. Listen, Max Holloway... If he wins this weekend, Simon, put him back into title contention. I'm I'm good with it. The, given how the Volkanovski fights played out, you know, he's taken on Yair Rodriguez. It was supposed to take place a few months ago. Yair Rodriguez, Simon, hasn't fought in two years. And I think that's going to be very detrimental because he's going to be coming in to arguably the best 145-pound fighter in the world outside of the current champion in Alexander Volkanovsky. Max Holloway is coming off a performance that's still probably maybe the performance of the year, and that was back in January when he fought Calvin Cater. And that was at the opening UFC event of the year. So, you know, it's almost been a while since we've seen Max fight, but given how that fight played out, I'm kind of glad that he's 
taken some well-deserved time off. And, you know, I'm sure he's going to be coming in with 110% energy. I'm really looking forward to it. Max Holloway, you, you just have to watch when Max Holloway fights. End of, simple as. And I think he's going to make a statement. I really do. I think he's going to beat Yair Rodriguez. I think he's, um, you know, outside of the, the the long layoff from Yair, I feel like Max Holloway is just better in pretty much every department. And I feel like he's going to put on yet another masterclass performance. I think he's going to make a statement. I think he's going to call out the champion. And I think this is going to be the platform that he jumps off of. And in 2022, fights Alexander Volkanovsky one more time. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head really early on in that. If you're going to face Max Holloway, you don't do it for your first fight back after two years on the shelf. I mean, that is a big ask. I mean, facing Max Holloway after a two-month training camp, three, four-month training camp is a big ask. But doing it after a after a long, long, long layoff, um, that's a big red flag. I mean, Rodriguez is a super talented fighter and he's got the ability to end fights in a blink of an eye. But against someone like Max Holloway, who just puts it on you at the amount of just pace and ferocity that he does, I think this could be a long night for Yair Rodriguez and a harsh reintroduction to life in the octagon. I mean, you know, his last fight was October 2019, fight of the night uh, bout with Jeremy Stevens. He went a distance, but, you know, he's he, he's still kind of living off that, that elbow knockout of the Korean zombie back in 2018. You know, that a fight he was losing, by the way. He was getting well beaten in that fight and then got knocked, he knocked out Chan Sung Jung with one second to go in a fight that he was going to lose. And effectively, he's only fought one guy since. He's fought Jeremy Stevens twice. One was a, a, a no contest. And then he went back and fought him again. And he's been off since then. He had the USADA suspension, which, which I think ended in March. Uh, and so he's been eligible to fight since March. But obviously, this is the first we've seen of him. And, uh, He's up against it. He's up against it. And I can't, I totally agree with you. I think Holloway gets a nice, impressive win here. It sets things up for Volkanovsky early in the new year, maybe February, March time, big pay-per-view. That would be perfect. So looking forward to seeing Max. Whenever Max fights, you know you're going to get a real um, a real show. He's going to go in there. He always turns up prepared. He always pushes a high pace and he always puts on show. So, and against Yaya Rodriguez, I think it should be quite a good, a good show at that. So that's the main event. On Saturday night, let's uh, have a have a little look down this fight card, Sandu, and pick out a few little favourites. I've got to mention the co-main, Big Ben Rothwell, um, who is still going incredibly. He's 40 years of age. I'm not saying he's still going because he's 40 years of age. He's had 52 career fights. And uh, the man is still going. He's showing no signs of slowing down. Uh, his last win was against the man we talked about earlier in the show, Chris Barnett, who was making his debut at the time. He submitted him in the second round. But he's still there. He's still relevant in that heavyweight division. And if he can string a couple of wins together, then who knows? Maybe he can get himself towards contender status again. He's facing Marcus Ruggiero de Lima in a fight that I expect him to be heavily favoured for. Um, but uh, that'll be an interesting one. But what else is leaping off this fight card to you, Sandy? There's some, there's some notable names all the way down the card, including a Brit. Yeah, if I'm being completely honest, Simon, not too much. I mean, that main event is so fantastic. From a British perspective, I have my eye on Mark Casey. He has obviously not had the best run in the UFC. He's lost four of his last six. He hasn't fought since July of 2020 when he lost a decision to Rafael Fiziev, who's absolutely on fire. I yeah. think this is a really important fight for him. I feel like if he loses, he may get cut. I feel like if he can win, then it may help add some momentum 
and we've spoken about it in recent weeks. There's this idea of a London card coming around in March. That's probably going to be a nice way for him to kind of leverage a win this weekend and then and try and get on that card in London, um, which will be like a, a nice home game for him there. But yeah, if I'm being honest, Simon, like, yeah, there's some names, but there's there's nothing too juicy that's kind of really getting me too excited outside, outside of that main event. And like I said, that Mark D. Hasey fight. Yeah, first fight of the uh, the main card, Song Yudong versus Julio Arce. That might be of interest uh, in the bantamweight division. Song, one of those fighters who not not at contender status yet, but has flirted with the rankings. Um, looking to see him back in there. Cynthia Calvillo versus Andrea Lee is a good fight. Surprised that that isn't a little further up the fight card. Sean Woodson is always good to watch. Courtney Casey, Liana uh, Jajua will be decent. Um, but yeah. Like you, I'm looking forward to the uh, Mark Mark Jacasey fight. I think he he needs himself not just a win. I think he needs a finish. You know, you look at you look at his fights. His last four fights, win or lose, have all gone all gone the distance. And uh, he got signed to the UFC off the back of a couple of absolutely devastating first round knockouts. And uh, he got that absolutely brilliant KO of Timu Pakalan uh, in London, thirty second KO back in 2017. That was that was an astonishing knockout. Uh, I tweeted that out again, actually, this afternoon. But since then, he lost three straight. Drakkar Close, Dan Hooker, Nazrat Hakparast. Bounced back with wins over Joe Duffy and Venata. And then obviously got beat by Fiziev. But if you lose to Rafael Fiziev and you don't get stopped, that's almost half a win, to be honest. Fiziev is an absolute monster. So, And he got a fight tonight bonus for that. So I think if he goes in there and entertains on Saturday night and uh, doesn't get finished... I think he'll survive through till London next year. Um, if he gets stopped, I'd be a little bit more worried. But fingers crossed, he can turn it around and get himself a win and head into the new year with a bit of momentum. I know uh, he's been quite active on social media, sharing some of his training footage, and he looks in outstanding shape. So looking forward to seeing how the bone crusher gets on this weekend. Sandu, that was a packed show. We had a lot to get through this week. Um you know, I mean, we're all back in our in our relative homes now after a crazy, crazy weekend. But uh, that was a good one. That was a good one. Whether you're on the road or in front of the telly, that was a weekend that will probably go down as one of the better combat sports weekends of the year, I reckon. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, 267, I was thinking about that being the event of the year. I think 268 now is in the conversation for event of the year. It's definitely going to be a great end of year recap show that we do at the end of December because there's already been some fantastic fights some fantastic events and we're just lucky we've been lucky we've been blessed especially over the last couple of weeks and we've got an incredible run of fights coming up and like you mentioned Simon you know the last major UFC pay-per-view of the year is coming up in a matter of weeks and I can't wait UFC 269 you know I feel like Kamaru's is a lock for me already as a fighter of the year given how this past weekend's performance went in a, and that result, I don't think Dustin Poirier beating Charles Oliveira will be enough for, for, for me to give him the accolade of fighter of the year. But that being said, let's see how it all play, plays out. Um, so sometimes how a fight can play out and how a performance um, can, can sway things and change things. But nonetheless, an important fight for him, a title fight. And, um, and prior to that, like I said, you know, just an absolutely unbelievable run of events coming up. I can't wait. Yeah, we've got a run of uh, three straight fight night cards at the Apex. We've got Holloway Rodriguez this weekend, Ketlin Vieira versus Misha Tate the following weekend, and then uh, we've got a week gap, and then Rob Font versus Jose Aldo for an ESPN card on December 4th. 
then it's the big one, UFC 269, which will be at T-Mobile on December the 11th. And uh, yeah, it's it's all shaping up to be a, a pretty spectacular end, end to the year. The last two pay-per-view cards have absolutely smashed it out of the park. And now we've got some great fight night cards at the Apex, which will hopefully just keep things rolling along nicely. But um, things are going pretty well as we head towards the final month of 2021. And that is pretty much all we've got time for on this episode of the Brit Pack. Sandu, how can everyone get in touch with us and support the show? Go to the BritPackMMA.com. That's our website. You can find us on social media, both my handle, Simon handle, the show handle on Twitter. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you do listen to us on Apple Podcasts, do us a favor, rate and review us. It literally takes 30 seconds. But by you doing that, it helps us out. It helps the show get promoted. That's how the algorithm works there over on Apple Podcasts. So yeah, rate and review us there and that'd be much appreciated. Great stuff. Busy one again this week. Got a packed one last week. Even more packed one this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. Hope you enjoyed the fights this past weekend. Got a load more coming up in the week to come. Enjoy those as well, and we'll speak to you in a week's time. Yeah.